in my younger years, you know, it was, well, high gear in the off season and then high gear pre-contest. So it was kind of high gear almost year round. <laughs> yeah. With, yeah. With yeah. six to eight week cruises in between. I have What's a up, guys? Loose. What's up, guys? Welcome oh. back to Blood, Sweat, oh. and Gear with Coach. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's pissed. I think it's hilarious, but Scott is not happy right now. <laughs> Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with coaches Skip Hill, Andrew Berry, and myself, Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by Patreon. Thank you, everybody, for supporting our programming. In fact, we've got a couple of Patreon people in the live stream. We're brought to you by supplementsource.ca for Canadians and truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. we got a lead topic today. Uh, the question was, where do we put more gear? In the off-season or in our dieting, in our contest preps. What do you guys think of this one? I mean, I, I saw Skip, you commented on YouTube and you instant. Also, people commented a ton on YouTube saying Skip needs to start his own, uh, you know, your own channel that you're, you're going to revitalize everything. So yeah. you definitely you're under the gun now. Everybody wants I you know. to do it. But the, the, so this question, though, we'll start off here and then we'll tackle all your listener questions today, including a bunch of stuff from Patreon. Where do we put more gear? Is, do we need more in the offseason? Do we need more when we're dieting? And go. What do you guys think? Run with it, Andrew. I think it comes down mostly to your personal philosophy in terms of, you know, what do you want to get out of it? And what I'm coming at is, so let's take myself. I always wanted to have good bloods like 90% of the year. I wanted to be as healthy as I possibly could, but I knew I also wanted to look good on stage. So in my case, you know, especially later on in my bodybuilding career, I would use a lot more gear comparatively in the pre-contest phase than I would in the off season. And what I'm Can saying you move is your thumb just a little bit. Cause it just doesn't look me? right. Yeah. And anybody watching is going to pick up on it too. Your thumb. I just totally interrupted because it, but it was funny. Your thumb is barely no in the screen. Your thumb was barely this, in the screen. Is it like just the way it, yeah. It, oh, it just looked, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't look right. I'm sorry. I totally <laughs> interrupted. I need to straighten out. I've seen that with Andrew's um, camera setup before because the camera's low. And one time he put his hand like right here. It was like, <laughs> yeah, I got to okay. get a, I got to get a different setup for the camera for sure. But, well, it just looked but, like maybe your wife was playing around or maybe she was just like putting a near your face or something like oh. that i know we're gonna get demonetized for that i hope not i'm sorry it's not a show about that like so i will sit back and i will show more exactly i will show more restraint and i and i will let you talk i'm sorry what was i even talking about i don't remember i don't remember we're about gear we're talking about gear so okay. you were saying you were taking gonna more give... gear later in your career yep and you didn't care about your blood I didn't care about right. your bloods. So I, that covers it. I think it's my turn I'm to talk. Can't skip. Anyone I feel, Andrew. Us, anybody that's still <laughs> hanging around and watching us, uh, <laughs> to get back to the topic at the end. All right. So we're talking about do we take more gear in the offseason or do we take more gear in the contest prep phase, right? And I was just trying to say that in my case, my philosophy as I got older and older was I wanted to be as healthy as I possibly could, but then be able to really gas it up during prep. So what does that look like in practice? 
nine months out of the year or whatever it is, it was more of like a 300 testosterone, maybe 300 milligrams of primabolin. And then come contest prep, that's when I really start to, you know, 20 weeks out, I would start to push the compounds. In my younger years, you know, it was, well, high gear in the off season and then high gear pre-contest. So it was kind of high gear almost year round <laughs> yeah, with, yeah. with yeah. six to eight week cruises in between. Right. And yeah. on that matter, why do we always go eight weeks? You, you notice how like we always have like yeah. these, Oh, it's eight weeks. Like, can I start, can I start gassing again, coach? You know? And I think it's this, this like bodybuilding lore of like, Oh, you're going to be completely healthy. If you stop taking high amounts of PEDs for eight weeks, exactly. It's the magical number. It's a magical number, but, but Skip, what do you have to say? Well, I think the eight week thing is, I think there's something to it though. Like as an example, I have found that between six and eight weeks, the majority of people, if you come off, not just to TRT, but if you just come off your, your bloods for most people will reset in, in a relatively short amount of time, unless you were just really beat up. So I think that may be where that comes from, but then you have so many other factors. Like as you get older, it, when you drop from cycle to TRT, you would think that dropping those bigger dosages would allow the blood numbers to come down relatively dramatically, or at least in relation to the drop in dosage. And it doesn't work that way. It only would come down for me maybe 20%. But then if I came off TRT completely, they would drop well into the normal range, sometimes as early as six weeks, sometimes as late as seven or eight weeks. And I think that is our, oh, yeah, we're good. Uh, my numbers are good. So I get back on again. I would argue that the up and down roller coaster of the blood milieu changing is not a great idea. I almost would rather, if they're not good, I'll just keep them not good. And, and I'm not telling people to do that, but I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. It's almost like the, the body, my brain wants to think that the body can handle that or work to accommodate that easier than the up and down roller coaster ride. But that's for another thing The the off season versus prep is, and we have some parallels, Andrew, the difference between us is even though I'm 53, I take gear like I did when I was in my late thirties. I'm just being honest. I do. And, and part of it is because I'm 53 and I've raised my kids. So if I do happen to die in a couple of years, it's not like my kids are going to be like, Oh, I don't have a dad, uh, you know, or anything like that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But at the same time, I'm kind of not, I was more concerned about something bad happening when I was raising the kids. If I'm being completely honest, because that is to me, me, just me, more selfish because I feel like I would, would if something would have happened to me, then I would have felt very guilty. And I arguably did while I was doing it because I thought if something does happen, and it's part of the reason, I mean, I was still, still relatively conservative and I was still very safe. I mean, I did the blood work and I never had blood ranges that were out of blood numbers that were out of range until 2012. And I pulled back for almost five years on TRT and before I moved here and then took off again and didn't have those blood prop for whatever reason, didn't have those blood problems. Now <clears throat> I do think this, and I do still stay with this now though. I didn't for the first three or four years that I was really starting to hit gear harder. I do think that the off season and I do run it this way. I run less gear in the off season than I do prep. I I'm not reckless. I'm not, but I am far more aggressive because as the calories come down, I want more gear in there. And on the flip side, when you're growing in the off season and you have so much more food, you should be growing 
on relatively moderate doses of gear. If you need a lot of gear and a lot of food, I, I don't know that I don't see that a whole lot. You're either going to respond well with, with moderate gear and a lot of food or anyway, I say a lot enough food, you're in a surplus and you're growing. And if you're not, you probably need to take a closer look at your training and your recovery or other variables in your life, because a lot of times it's not that gear. If the gear is there, you're recovering and you have a surplus, you, you should be growing quite well. I have upped that gear in the off season and not seen much of a change, but I do increase my gear as the calories get lower and it has always worked for me. So I would, I also, I'll go so far as to say this, and I'm going to have clients. I, the backlash is going to be horrible, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but I don't do blood work during prep. And it's, it's, a, it's a risk that I'm willing to take based on my years of using gear and where I think those numbers are going to be anyway. I don't want to see them. I don't you want don't, to know. You, well, I, just to be clear for the audience, you don't do blood work during prep or you don't have people do blood work during prep? Because I want to be. I don't see do. It, right. Okay. Yeah. It is a do as I say, not as I do. Now, here's my defense to that. If you have trained for a very long time and you have used gear for a very long time and you fancy yourself training, you know, 20 or 30 years and you're kind of a veteran and you know how your body's going to respond or you have a good idea and you decide that you don't want to know what those numbers are for 20 weeks out of the year and you accept that you're taking that risk, then more power to you. That's fine. I'm going to advise you not to do that, but I'm just being transparent by saying, I don't want to know the argument I get is if something were just egregious that I would see on my blood work and not necessarily feel, then it will skip. Wouldn't you want to know that? Maybe, maybe not. I'm 53. I've raised my kids. I don't want to die tomorrow, but this is my fun. This is uh, my life is pretty freaking boring. <laughs> so I want to get through a cut phase and worry about my cut phase and, and I don't even worry about it, but enjoy it. And I'll do my bloods when I'm done. I do them at the end. So I still have everything running through me. So the only thing I'm really missing out on is if something were to go wrong halfway through and all of a sudden I had a year like I did in 2012 where blood numbers were out of control. Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't know. But I'm sitting here saying and being honest, I, I accept that. Okay. Got a question for you guys. How much do you think you need? Do you need a lot to retain muscle in a cut? I think you need more than you do in the off season. <laughs> yeah. What is a lot? I agree Define with that statement. Lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, cause I'm thinking people are listening and of course they want to hear our own perspectives. Like what do we do? But at the end of the day too, they're asking like, okay, this is at the end of the day, they want to know how does this apply to them? Um, how, how, how do they determine how much they need to retain muscle? Cause I, I, I think that, the, I think that it's less than we think. I do. Yeah. I think that like just to retain muscle, it's less than we think. I don't think that we need like a gram of gear even total to retain the muscle that we have when we're dieting. I think well, that we could probably get away honestly with replacing our testosterone and a little bit more than that would be enough to retain muscle through a lot of a diet. If we're getting down to contests where we're, we're literally trying to get like unhumanly lean, you know, maybe it's going to take some more than that. But I, 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 I think that my... My thought is, is I hear a lot of fear of people who are like, okay, I'm dieting. I pulled out two cups of rice. I need to be on, you know, X amount or else it's all going to just go away instantly. I'm trying to think of numbers. Can you, and I'm leery of doing this, but I, I know, use my, 
I, it is. It's tough because everybody's different. So I'm going to, here's why I'm jumping in front of Andrew because I don't want to be influenced by Andrew's <laughs> response to, to seem like I'm, you know, oh yeah, that's what I would do. So I'm going to say this and I might be different than you guys on this. I'm in my situation, my gear will end up doubled and sometimes three times as much being honest. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I just wasn't sure if it'd be like rough or real. Okay. All right. All right. I mean, when, okay. So we're talking injectables and orals combined. Yeah. Let's say like just a total milligram count. Total oh, milligram. Yeah, so we're counting amount. orals. You guys are making up more rules as we go. <laughs> so skips like, so orals, actually it's four to five count. times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, here's the thing. I, honestly, I didn't count the orals because, and I'll give you two reasons. And again, I'm just being honest here. I don't run orals in the off season. Are you being honest? So, so my brain is going for like the numbers in my head that I'm going over. I'm like, okay, two to three times for injectables. I also don't go big on orals. I'm not a hundred milligram, you know, for an oral kind of guy. Um, there's jokes in there, but I'll leave them alone because I'm far too mature for that. So I, I admittedly, I'm not counting them. And you know what? Oral doses add up real quick. <laughs> I mean, if you were running 100 milligram a day, that's 700 right there for the week. So that's but I don't run, like I said, I don't run orals very, very big. Um, I benefit from them and I like them very, very much, especially Anavar and Anadrol. Um, those two primarily, actually Winstrol too, to some degree, but Anavar, Anadrol, Winstrol, they go in that order for me from one for first place, second place and third place. Uh, but I don't run them long and I don't run a lot. Okay. I, I think most importantly, you got to look at like, after you've done one or two cycles and you've done the full bodybuilding experience, you kind of know what kind of bodybuilder you're going to be in the sense of, right. am I one of those like Jay Cutler genetic responders or, mm -hmm. Am I like the 99% of the rest of us that, you know, I'm going to be gaining pounds and not 10 pounds every year, that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> so, and I don't think your numbers are out of line, Skip, like two to three times milligram doses. I don't think that's crazy, you know, because people like to have relatable numbers. Like I'll just use an example for myself. Cause I mentioned, you know, let's say off season, I was using 300 tests, 300 Primo for most of my off season, relying just on food, uh, peptides, training, you know, recovery, all that stuff, you know, it wouldn't be any, anything odd to start up a contest prep with a thousand milligrams of test and a thousand milligrams of EQ and a hundred milligrams of NPP every other day. And then okay. somewhere around the 10 week mark, take out the EQ, swap it in for like 600 milligrams of Masteron, pull out the NPP, add in, you know, a hundred megs of trend every other day or 50 megs of trend every day. And then as you get closer to the prep, you know, five weeks out, I would layer in, you know, I might be adding in Primo in as well. I probably would be doing probably 600 milligrams of Primo there too. Um, and then, you know, five weeks out, I'll add in 50 to hundred megs of an oral every day. And then maybe layer in a few more orals as I get closer to the contest. So, I mean, using your example, I think I'm more like four to five times um, yeah. And, and what's funny yeah. is you're stronger than a, not funny, but I mean, it's just a different approach. And this is good because we're not exactly the same. You will run more orals where I won't, but I will run more gear in the off season. So <laughs> when I say two to three times, it's, it's up there with yours and it might be a little higher. <laughs> I don't think anybody heard that except no. three of us. Okay. I what just, about just your cat? What about the overall? <laughs> yeah. 
What about the overall size of the guy too? Let's say, you know, yep. is our listener, sure. uh, 285 pounds, get, you know, dieting mm-hmm. down to 250 or is he a middleweight? Yeah. And, and, and I say this, it's, it's lean muscle mass. If you're a hundred pounds overweight, you don't need to feed that mm-hmm. extra hundred pounds of gear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and I do the same thing with water intake. I'm like, you know what, if, or, um, water intake and a lot of other things too, where I don't consider that. I don't like to consider the fat intake because it doesn't belong there anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's technically not supposed to be there. It's not taking up. It's like covering yourself with a hundred, the caloric, like if you were to just slather yourself with like Crisco oil, like a hundred pounds, what is that? 3,500 times a hundred pounds at 350, that's off the top of my head, 350,000 calories of Crisco. It doesn't belong there. It's not making you look good. It's just energy that if you need it, it's there. Mm-hmm. When you want the food, it is there. <laughs> that was All a right. really bad Arnold impression. Well, I hope this gives some insight to people. I'll tell you what, I, I don't think you need a lot, but that doesn't mean that in my experience, I wouldn't have used a lot. I want to bring up things. another thing too, because as you know, everyone's in different places in their bodybuilding career and everyone has yeah. different goals with their bodybuilding career. You know, the guy who's trying to in his late thirties, get on stage for the first time has vastly different goals and needs than a guy who's, maybe, you know, young thirties to 35 getting ready for the New York pro. You right. Know? So I think, you know, you need to look at that. And I will say that, that, that young thirties guy getting ready for the New York pro is probably using more gear in the off season than he did when he first started. I mean, sure. it's sure. rare that you meet a pro that's using a lot less gear than they did when they started. Typically testosterone levels will go up. Um, other compounds will be going up. Uh, but the main thing I see is growth hormone really starts to go up. You know, oftentimes people can't afford it when they're in their twenties, you know, um, they get a good job. They're in a different track in life. All of a sudden they could afford a kidocerol stim a month, or they could afford, Mm -hmm. you know, to run 10, 12 units a day in the off season and right through their contest prep. And I think that's a big difference maker that they should be taken account for too, as it doesn't have the same health implications as anabolic, uh, androgen, androgenic compounds. Right. Yeah. Put me in that group though, too, because again, I need to remind people I've been taking gear for like over 30 years. So where someone may think that, you know, oh, geez, three times as much, and he takes a lot in the office. I've been taking gear for 30 years. I mean, that's a long time to take gear. In fact, the more I think about it, I don't know why I'm alive at this point. Well, anyway, let me say this. Let me yeah, say this, also, because we, we, we talk about the dangers of gear. And yes, there are some dangers with gear. But I think when you look at the bodybuilder, that the bodybuilder who's doing cardio three to seven times a week, who's eating clean every single day, who's taking health supplements. I, I mean, I would put our blood work against someone else who's, say, my same body weight, same age, who has, you know, four to five beers every night or who eats three meals a day. One of them's fast food. You know, the other one's a bagel and coffee for breakfast. I would put my labs against any one of theirs when I'm full blown on cycle. So yeah, yeah I think like we all have different choices we make in life. Right. And our yeah. choice, our negative, if you want to call it that, is that we're putting a substance that could be, you know, cause some dyslipidemia and other, other issues. Whereas yeah. these other people are doing the same things, but just repetitively every day for their whole life. I'm also relatively lean. My off season is always structured clean. I mean, I'm pretty much on a prep diet, even in the off season, because I want to stay lean. If I were running 40, 50 plus over, like I was bulking all the time, then that would be different. And that has health Mm -hmm. implications, you know, 
as well. So it is what it is. I don't want to sound like I'm justifying it to anybody who's listening. I just want to be clear that I've made the decisions that I have made. I've always been honest about it and I accept the consequences and it is what it is. So I I guess the only thing I'll, I'll add is filter this people, like understand Skip's perspective and and where Mm -hmm. he's at, understand where Andrew's at and the level that he's competed at. Does that apply to you? And if so, how does it apply to you? Milligram for milligram. You know, I, I, um, I want to be careful because I do think that as the show grows, we have more and more people that are just your average guys. Like you said, the guy who's in his forties, you know, he still has even like a pot belly and he wants to start cutting. And it's like, you know, do you need three times the amount of gear for him? Mm-hmm. Eh, you know, I think in his case, no. it's, you know, a lot of the, and so just, you know, look at where you're at, be honest with where you're at when you're assessing what you need, but, you know, consider, consider this as a almost, um, how, how can you put it? Like when I look at it, when I looked at a John Meadows workout and it says, Okay, so the example was you started with, you know, a, a squat. We're going to do, a, you know, 225 for 12, two sets of that. And then we're going to 315 for this and 405 and five. I'm like, well, I'm not doing all of that. I'm not going to 500 pound squats. This is going to apply to me in a much different way. I'm starting at 135. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Interestingly, Skip, so we were recording um, Drugs and Stuff uh, yesterday, actually, and I got a text from Andrew, and he said, hey, ask Dave what he thinks about, how do you say his, How do you say the, the name even, Andrew? Because I always get it. I think it's Janoshik. Gen, yeah, either, or Janoshik. 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 The, yeah, the lab like testing company. And you sent a bunch oh. of stuff out. We were asking Dave what he thought. Dave sees a lot of results from him. I've had clients that have sent stuff off to them. And, um, you know, I, everything I've seen seems to be, you know, fairly on point. Dave says that he seems to be reputable. He, he hasn't heard mm-hmm. anything about the guy like crossing people or, or giving you fake results and stuff like that. So he's testing stuff. And what did you find out, Andrew? Well, first, I purposely... You know, you send samples in. You don't send the whole bottles with labels or anything. And you send, you know, um, milliliter samples in. And I purposely made sure that he didn't know the branding, so that there, whether he had a relationship or whatnot with these people, I wanted it to be completely anonymous, a double blind study. Um, yeah. So I sent way, him let, in. Let me yeah. just say real quick, Doctor Dean St. Mart is with us in. Uh, he'd been commenting along. I didn't get all your stuff up, Dean. I saw you said a couple other comments. So I apologize we didn't get to interact with you on everything. But he did say that Janoshik seems to be on point from his experience. I would love to have him on if, if he'd we be should. willing to come on sometime. Yeah, Let's absolutely. Do it. On, for a number of topics, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, anyway. So, yeah, I sent in a sample of uh, testosterone. Um, what I sent? T- testosterone cypionate. I sent in Mastron and Anthate, and I sent in uh, NPP. And I did send you those um, results, you did? Scott. Yeah. I don't, know if, I don't care down. if you want to post them. All right. Dean's down anytime we want to have him, it sounds like. So we'll set that up. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. So testosterone should have been 250 milligrams per cc, and it came back at, was it 172? Right. Okay. Now, yeah. In my book, you know, I want to see products that are at least, I mean, ideally 98% what it says on the label and, or, or between 98 and 102%, I should say. 
And honestly, when it comes to testosterone, I don't understand why a company would not overdo it in any situation because it's so cheap to manufacture. Like I've already told 10 people not to stop using this brand because of this, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's six, 66% of what's on the label claim. I mean, if you, if you went to the store to get, you know, uh, a dozen eggs and you open the carton <laughs> and they're like, no, you're only getting eight for that price that we're telling you that you're paying. Yeah. You'd be pretty darn upset, wouldn't you? Yeah. Right. So and I realized that we're talking about illicit compounds, but it's, you know, it, it's 2023 and um, mm -hmm. there should be some quality control in this kind of work. Um, another compound I set, uh, Masteron and Anthate, didn't come back, it came back at 0% Masteron and was, uh, I can't remember the milligrams. I think it was like 88 milligrams of 94.43. I mean, close, you know? Yes, but of Primabolin. Foo. Which is which kind of behooves me because Primabolin is a more expensive compound to manufacture versus the Masteron. So that one just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. But I think that what that says very clearly, and other people are probably thinking what I am, if you could let me know that source and then I pay for Masteron and order it and get Primabolin <laughs> at 93 meg instead of 100, I'll take that. I will take I'm gonna that. Assume it, I'm going to assume it was just a mis mislabeling issue, but even yeah, then. That's what I wondered too. That's a quality control thing right there. Yeah, Secondarily, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, yeah. it's it, what is it, 94 milligrams? That, that, that's yeah. just not right. No. Yeah. And then um, the other one was NPP. And the NPP, where did I put that? I'll uh, bring it up right here. It was 88.95, and it should have been 100 milligrams per ml. Yeah. So I this company is, they're out that's in my no book. good. Yeah, the geez. problem is here, here. I mean, quick story. The reason why I sent this one in for testing, because I don't test everybody, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I had been given some of this stuff by the person, I guess, who's friends with the manufacturer. Yep. And I said, yeah, sure. I'll give it a shot. And sh it wasn't two days later, another friend who's been on this program a number of times shoots me a message out of the blue and is like, Hey, you get your stuff from down in Florida. Right. And I'm like, yes. He sends me a picture of the exact stuff that I have. He goes, it's not this stuff, is it? And I go, yes, it is. Why? And he starts telling me, he's like, dude, three top six Olympians were on this recently. And they all like felt that it was way off. They trashed it. Really? One of them tested it. Yes. Like three. Well, well, I yeah, can't but say they, anymore, they but knew they, they, yes, they had three yes. people had a vibe that it was. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you tested your there was also, Yeah. And then there's, but the word was also going around that some other people knew that was underdosed and mm. we're still allowing it to be, you know, in the market anyway. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get this stuff tested. I'll bite the bullet. And so I tested and obviously this is what we found. And um, so what I'm telling people is that, look, Janoshik, super professional. You, the, the most expensive part of this is, is the shipping. It's like 75 bucks because it's got to go overseas, but each samples, you know, $120, which I think is fair. Uh, the turnaround time from when he received shipment was like two to three days. And uh, it was very professional the, the reports come. And again, I want to point out this guy had no, he had no reason not to give me accurate results. Yeah. You know, he had, he had no idea who the company was that I was having him test. So yeah, that's, that's my story on, on gear testing. Better than now, if you wanted to, situation. If you said, wanted to uh, double, well, maybe not double blind it, but if you wanted to just validate, if you sent in the same samples again, because oh, I mean, yeah. I know you've got, I know you've got money to burn. So yeah, four hundred bucks to you, three hundred sixty dollars. I mean, if you sent it in and they came back different, then I'd be like, that's a good Bruh. point. 
Yeah, that, dude, that's actually you know I should have done that to verify. Yeah, because um, I tossed. I already tossed the stuff. Yeah, he said. Uh, Dean said that he's seen in a recent console somebody that was just taking pure carrier oil and that he had fully recovered his HPTA. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! TRT so. worked or, or uh, PCP worked. PCT worked. <laughs> so he runs it through uh, mass spec. So he's, you know, yeah. good testing there is what he's got going on. Um, he says, just find a chemistry student who has access to a database with, database with standards. Um, all right. What else do we have here? There was a question about, uh, I can pop this one up too. Carb cycling versus keto, which is a better method pre-contest? Also thoughts on keto for pre-contest. Do you guys have a problem with the keto? Maybe it's just me. I want it to be called bodybuilding keto. Yes. Or modified keto. Keto, exactly. So, yeah. because it's just so different. You know the bacon you want. Well, I mean, tr- true <laughs> keto diets are, you know, 12%, 12 or 14% protein and then the rest fat and then very, very little trace carbohydrates, usually from fibrous vegetables. That, that's yeah. true keto. Yeah. As bodybuilders, we're getting, you know, 40 to 55, 60% of our calories from protein and then eating the rest as fat and then obviously still excluding the carbs. I've even heard some people like try to like say, you know, oh, I'm on keto, but it's only 150 grams of carbs a day. And I'm like... <laughs> What? I don't think you know That's what like that being means. Natural on 400 milligrams of <laughs> yeah. or TRT or something. Yeah, yeah it's just, yeah, it's like exactly. we change the rules to fit our narrative sometimes. But in that, so what do you know, guys think about question, that though for pre-contest carbs versus? If you, you know, needed it, if if I can keep carbs in, if somebody's doing well with yeah. carbs, I'm not going to just like go to keto to try, you know, because people like it. Well, yeah. that yeah. said, if somebody was like, "Hey, I really like being on keto," then maybe we'd try it, but it wouldn't be my yeah. first choice. Yeah, no. Yeah, I think, we're I think whatever works, whatever works, you know, because yeah. yeah. I mean, how many times do you start with a client and you obviously most of us will start with a traditional diet. I don't know any coaches that immediately go right to a full you know, bodybuilding keto type diet, but you start with one strategy. It's not working. So you have to switch it up and maybe you do end mm-hmm. up with something that resembles a bodybuilding keto with with skip uh, skip loads on the on, you know, one or two days a week. It's yeah. it's kind of it's a whatever it works. None of us on here have a plan from day one that works all the way through for 16 to 20 weeks. It's, it's a, it's a a dynamic process. You know, at some point you get to go and, you know, let's say you're starting out with check-ins once a week, eventually you're going to be doing check-ins bi-weekly or, you know, twice a week. And then eventually it's probably every other day or every day just to see what the change you made the previous day is eliciting because now they're at that level of conditioning where you can actually see if what you're doing is making a difference. So it's really a, whatever works kind of strategy. I, when people like, Hey, how do you diet people? I'm like, I don't know. Like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. I couldn't tell you anybody how I diet anybody. My yeah. analogy I always tell them is that I can give I can give you directions on how to get to the airport, but I can't tell you when to change lanes until we get on the road. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's a good. I like that analogy. That's good because yeah. you, you, you don't you don't know, but it's like. Yeah, anyway, we got a bunch more. I would, I would even sweeten that up. I would say I can tell you how to get to the airport, but I can't tell you what plane you're going to be getting on. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. How about this one? Um, I read somewhere that Danny Padilla did 400 milligrams DECA per day to build his physique. Now that we have AIs and Novadex, do you think that he could have looked better if he had used 250 tests and 150 milligrams DECA per day? It's not just Danny Padilla. Yeah. I mean, it's that the things that we know about gear now and the access to compounds that we have is light years ahead of that 
generation. Uh, there's just there's just no getting around that. So the physiques themselves, plus they didn't get into the condition. The expectation of conditioning mm-hmm. was not what it what, what it is. To, it's not even remotely mm-hmm. close. Yeah. I mean, I see old pictures of Frigno and Danny Padilla and guys like that, <laughs> and and it, the condition is you know what we would consider. 12 weeks for you know 12 yeah. weeks out 14 weeks out 10 weeks out i mean it's it's just not that impressive so they were riding on shape and structure uh more than the in muscularity more than they certainly far more than they were conditioned so i would argue and say that a, a lot of those guys could look crazy <clears throat> not only on the compounds that we have access to today uh, but also just dieting to get leaner and you know i don't want to go down a yeah, route I, I gotta say this i was taken by the when Will said Geronda, I've always called him Geronda. So I've screwed up hypertrophy and Geronda <laughs> just in the last in the last year. So if anybody thinks, oh man, you know, I really like learning. You know what? I like learning too. And I'm part of the podcast and I'm learning to say <laughs> words the correct way. God, Geronda. He said that I wanted to correct him. I'm like, no, I'm going to be wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to correct him. <laughs> Well, either way, I'm with you, Skip. I think if if Danny would have pushed his diet harder, he would have looked better regardless of the compounds being used. Because I think people overlook the conditioning aspect of of what yeah. was the standard back then versus what is the standard today, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, I And you had you people who were in shape. You had people who were in shape. Geronda, he was leaner than everybody else. He just wasn't bigger than him. That guy... Uh, Zane, sure. That's yeah. He, he was, was a little bit late, not much later, but a little, eh. a little bit later. No, he later. was pretty much. Was a little yeah, later. they may have crossed crossed over just a little bit. Yeah, they, I think they did. Like, but like, yeah, I think they did too. All of well, them he, though were kind of. I mean, even Frank Zane, like he was great, but he wasn't the year monster. You know, the year right. that Arnold beat Frank Zane when Frank Zane was considerably peeled compared to Arnold. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know. I think it was when he took a little break and he came back, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And Arnold looked like, okay, it's a nice physique for the beach. You know, he even yeah. lost like a yeah. lot of that pec fullness that he had. Yeah. But then mm-hmm. it was just his name, you know, Arnold's doing the Olympia again. And Frank Zane, mm-hmm. I, I think it was the year Frank Zane got second. He was arguably weeks ahead in terms of conditioning. Yeah. It's everything too, like our training, everything, like uh, even the equipment we have. They they used to weld stuff together. They had they knew a guy. Your gym was because you knew a guy who had mm-hmm. who, like a welding I- equipment stuff like that. Do you remember when access to foods? Yeah. Like they didn't they had a lot of milk products back then. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, like whey protein supplements over-the-counter supplements Do you guys remember when uh ronnie won or not won but he was given like a lifetime achievement award at the arnold classic i have this little clip i can I actually there. play it you were there for that i wasn't there that for was, that one but that was 2021 be- or 20 that was there yeah and and there was a little word he said technology look at the watch watch the look on his face here Watch, he says it again, and watch the way he says it. He means GH. (laughs) (laughs) That is good. You know what he means. You know what he Mm -hmm. means. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. 
I'm with you guys, though. Yeah. So. It's a fun question to ponder. What would happen yeah. if we could, you know, like a like guru time hopping, if we could go back in time and take one of those guys, like one of the guys who did okay, or maybe maybe we took Louie. What if we took Louie, you know, when he was going up against Arnold and pumping iron, mm-hmm. 75 Olympia, and we just got him freaking ripped to nails. So wait, wait, are you saying, let's say we took Louie from back then, his frame and everything, and yep. maybe competed in, let's say, Ronnie's era with no, all no, the no. technology? No, no, just no. To go we back we go back there. We teach him. We teach yeah. him. The three of us put our heads together. Yeah. Or we're just oh, like, Andrew, we're sending you back. You know, you're going to have to talk we to Rachel. Him, we would you're basically talk to Rachel. give him the gonna... right. We would give him the right advisors. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what if that we were do. me, I would go back and I'd be the original bodybuilding coach. And oh, I would be man. like rolling in it right now. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right. What else do we have here? Um, how about this one? Oh, that's a long one. I'm going to go here. <clears throat> Question from my favorite podcast. You guys, oh, that's one we already did. Oh, that's probably for drugs and stuff. Uh, how about this one? <laughs> so the question says for Ron, Dusty, and Scott, but it was a better fit here. Oh, thanks um, a lot. Yeah, yeah, I was on many cycles awesome. for 10 years to peak of 300 pounds. Off gear, three years, and zero training for two years. Question is, if I went back on cycle, maybe 500 to 750 test probe or E and low-dose T-ball, would I get that first cycle gains, blow-up effect, like my first uh, cycle effect to, uh, he says, as mentioned on uh, the latest BSG upload? No. Yeah, I mean, is he going to gain he would thirty blow pounds up. Of muscle? Relative, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, relative, but like, I'm assuming that he was like a 200 pound guy when he first started his first cycle, and after the first cycle, he got up to like a pretty clean 230, 240, and then his next cycle got up to 250, you know, incrementally. But but that first one that he, he probably put on a chunk of that mass, he's not going to go from 300 to 350 or something like that and have a 50 pound swing of muscle like right. he did, you know in the original cycle and t-ball i wouldn't use t-ball personally that's just no. me i think it's uh, no i just i think it's next to worthless honestly yeah <laughs> no kidding you really you don't like it that much huh uh, no i mean if it's between like t-ball and nothing i'll probably just take nothing honestly <laughs> like, <laughs> so. okay well if it was between t-ball and nothing i would definitely take t-ball but i get your point nonetheless I, I, okay I, I would take three times the t-ball that really <laughs> really so i never used yeah. it that was like literally one of the maybe two compounds that I never tried. It's, it's that bad it in your like, mind, huh? Um, I mean, it's not bad. I just don't think it has like crazy applications. Like if, like maybe to use it with females, like, okay. But as like watered down, watered, watered down Anavar, maybe. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Remember when it used to be popular? Like, well, you do a test uh, D ball cycle. You kickstart your cycle with D ball, but if you want to do a drier cycle, you kick it with T ball. Remember that? Yeah, I do kind of. It's just everything cycles through like that, though. It's, it's, you remember, like, you know, I'm going to use salty, salt, what is he called? Salty dog? Is that what he called? Yeah, you're a salty dog of 20, 30 years training. Instead of old head, I'm going to change it. But it's, it's, everything (laughs) cycles through. And when something is new like that, um, you know, Ment did the same thing. It had a very much briefer run. Mm -hmm. Um, but T-Ball I think is, is doing the same thing. And I don't hear, you know, clients don't ask me about it. Uh, they're not on it when they come to me, they had, they don't list it 
very often is their, you know, past compounds anytime recently. So it's, it, I just don't think it's that big. If I had to pick five orals, it would probably be uh, the sixth. Okay. I'm right there with you. I, I would still well, take it, but I would only orals. take it if the other five weren't available. Let's, <laughs> let's do, let's do five orals that we agree have a place in bodybuilding. Okay. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm going to okay. say Anadrol for sure. No question. You guys toss one up. Anavar. You guys know I love that shit. Yep. So I agree with those three hundred percent. Then I think where we might differ might be two other oral compounds. Right. Four. Yeah. Really? Okay. All right. It works. I just don't like it because I feel like it Pac-Man's away liver liver cells like it does. Like Pac-Man does dots. But anyway, I screwed up the joke. But uh, I'd still. You guys don't. But I put D ball in there at the. I put D ball in slot. Yeah. I put D-ball in is so I I've found for me D-ball worked well whereas Anadrol destroyed my appetite in the off season. Okay. So that's yeah, that for me it was yeah so if that was like my my option for like a quote unquote wet compound oral. The crazy thing about Anadrol though is that you can take it right and you can miss meals and the scale keeps going up. <laughs> yeah. And you keep getting stronger and you keep looking better. And you're like, yep. this is kind of defying science at this point. Yeah. And yeah. when you're lean, I, the water thing, just, I just don't yeah. see it apply ever. You just get harder and it's almost like you get fuller. And it, sometimes, like you said, it doesn't impact my appetite too much, but I know it does the vast majority of people, but I'm the same way with EQ. I don't get ravenous on EQ. It doesn't have that appetite. I have a weird appetite though. I probably have ghrelin, leptin, issues because I, as much as I'm known for skip loading and I can put away food, I don't get ravenous to the point where I'm like, Oh, I just, I have to eat. Like, I can't stand this. Like, I just don't, I just literally shut down and hunger literally goes away. That's it. I'm weird like that. So I'm going to tell you guys something. So I, I did this experiment. I may, I think I did tell you guys, I used some injectable D ball and yeah, it went great. Like I loved it to 25 milligrams pre-workout on training days only cranking along, cranking along. Then I thought, I'm going to run out of this. I want to do something else. I got some Anivar. and I went to 50 VAR and I was just like, well, I'm going to forget to take it if I don't just take it in the morning. So I took 50 VAR in the morning, every morning, about two, three weeks in my appetite was so bad that I would eat meal one because it's like my scheduled thing to do. But then I go sit at my desk. I wouldn't, and that's like it. 8 a.m. or so, 9 a.m., I wouldn't want to eat again until like 2, 3 p.m. And I wouldn't even be hungry. I wouldn't even be hungry. I'd be like, it'd be like Victoria would be like, are you going to eat soon? Like, I haven't seen you. You know what I mean? Like, hey, bodybuilder, are you just going to (laughs) be? Right, right. Right. I had to end up quitting it. I just, I didn't feel good on it anymore. It was an anadrol. Yeah, no, I'm funny. I was thinking the same thing. In fact, Genosha had checked this stuff. So I'm very, I'm very confident. It's something I've had uh, this brand. I've had females use it. So I'm, I'm very confident in it. Uh, But yeah, I just, it's, I'm not blaming that. I'm blaming me. Whatever's up with me. It just didn't, it was a sad story. Cause if you were to do that in your twenties, I think it'd be a very different, you know, outcome, right? Yeah. Like, and I think what Skip was talking about, I experienced myself where I can be hungry and I can literally just ignore it and go about my day. If I had to fast for the whole day, I would be completely fine. If anything, I'd actually be more energetic, more alert, more focused because of it. Exactly. Like, yeah. if, if, if I have a long drive to do at night, the last thing I'm going to do is have a meal with protein and carbs in it. Like I, <laughs> yep. I, I might eat a little protein, but I probably try to put off eating until I get home to stay more yep. awake, more alert because of that hunger effect. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And I'm not saying discipline. I'm not saying, oh, I'm hungry. Yeah. I'm just going to work through. Oh, I'm yeah, just saying yeah. there's literally like it. My brain doesn't even register the hunger. Like I just don't eat it. It's, it's mm-hmm. taken me years to get to that. And I think it is because I've been doing it for so long that that's just the way I'm programmed. And I think that's how people get when they've been in it for a long time. Let me, can I pose this to you guys? You only have two, two orals that you can use. T-ball or Primable and tabs, milligram for milligram. Which I never took stronger? either. I never took either. Because Primable and tabs the... are weak as hell too. Yeah, but yeah I was going to say you did T-ball. Tabs are kind of like. The, remember, they used the... to be two milligram tabs. But, well, you don't remember because yeah, you're not I as do. old as me. <laughs> okay, fair. Enough. I do, but I knew not to buy them too. So yeah, I never... <laughs> exactly. Take a bottle. You take a bottle at a time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two hundred megs in a bottle. Something well, because like when you see a two milligram tab, you're like, this is either strong as shit. I mean, like before you understand what the compound right. is, right, like, right, like you know, like 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 a milligram of a Rimadex, right? Yeah. You know, you're like well, a milligram, or <laughs> two milligrams, like they're made like they're they're, they're baby pills, right? They're yeah. you could give them to kids, and they're not going to see any effects from them. And yeah. I and I yeah, man, I would I guess in that case I would take the T ball. Oh, there yeah, you go. You, you, yeah. you put him yeah. in the corner. You finally got Andrew in the corner to the point where he'd finally I take the ball. <laughs> I had to come up with a scenario where he would use it. How about this one? So, uh, awesome show uh, question for the next episode. Should tall lifters use caution or avoid uh, altogether using machines in their program? I'm six, four. Uh, a lot of machines don't feel right, especially shoulders, chest, pressing and arms. I'm assuming these machines are built for the average height. Thanks for taking my question. Andrew, this our resident tall guy. Use, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, remember, I used to train with Jimmy Kennedy. So I learned a lot about machine training when I would try. I wouldn't want to move everything. So I would adjust it myself. Uh, I remember standing up on an incline hammer or squatted down so I didn't have to keep changing. I don't know about you guys, but I get real OCD. So if I can't leave the seat at the same height every for every set. I get very anxious and I don't want to do that. So I would make it work. And I, that's how I found that as an example on the decline hammer press, even for me, it at just under five, nine, I want that seat bottomed out because I want mm-hmm. my elbows coming up into my armpits, not like the 20 year old kids who are in there close gripping, you know, three <laughs> plates. And then you put three plates on. They're like, Oh, I'm just as strong as him. And then they're like, Oh wait, he's doing we'll it. Different. But anyway, yeah, it, it's the machines I, I, for someone that tall, if it doesn't feel right, then definitely don't use it. But just because you're taller, it, 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 that would be the only reason I could think of. Because if, if you can fit in the machine, it doesn't. Well, the bigger issue that I've found is range of motion on certain exercises. Like an example would be like a lat pull down where you can't get a full extension sometimes because the weight's right. back bottom out. You know what I'm talking about? That's, that's usually the biggest issue. Now, you know, I'm not Ryan Shaw. You know, I'm not six, eight and 400 pounds. So I've never had to deal right. with his types of issues, but, but yeah, like you said, putting the seat all the way on the bottom. Um, sometimes like, here's another example, because you can't get the full range of motion on say like the, um, uh, adduction machine. So you might have to put pads in between, uh, your, 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 your quadricep and, and the, what do you call it? The, the thigh pad. Uh, so you can get more range of motion out of it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but most people would have to do that kind of stuff anyway. But I would also say that really, really short people have problems in the opposite way. Like, yeah, Victoria, instance, um, she she can't train on a lot I've of the equipment it. I have in the gym here. Yeah. Yeah, like a hack squat, right? Like a lot of those yep. hack squats bottom out, and they're like not even in full um, full depth. So you mm-hmm. you need to put like pads and different things in the shoulders 
to give them, you know, to, to give them a little more boost or whatever you want to call it. For her, she's not uh, tall enough when she goes to unrack it. Is, is what it is with the uh, hex club. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> she's like five foot nothing, so you wouldn't know Skip because she had heels right. on at Swiss. So yeah, right. But honestly, I have like a daughter who's very very short too. About her, it's dangerous. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to kind of riff off of this last question from Christopher Logan on Patreon. He asked if we could go over basically, here's his question was, he says, um, with the Olympia being over and um, everyone wanting to get shredded again. And I don't know about that. I feel like everybody's going into their off season at this point. And yeah. <laughs> uh, could you do a brief summary on the ancillaries of uh, you know, fat loss? Um, how would you use them in combination? T3, T4, clen, you know, and anything else you would throw in? Now, I did take this question on uh, drugs and stuff, but I wanted to ask you, and I kind of spun it there too. I wanted to ask you guys if you could only pick one, because we could do a whole show literally on this. Like this could be an entire show. If you could only pick one fat burner, what would be the first place that you would go? Well, it's, for me, it's easy. It's clan. But I also don't think people getting lean need clan. They just need to control their diet. And you can get very, very lean without adding. To me, clan is next level leanness. It's, it's looking to just look like an anatomy chart and and i know people think they can do it and people who aren't competitors or anything else but if you're just not if you can't handle regular dieting then i don't think you have any business it's a short it's it's this massively huge shortcut and i just it, it has potential dangers i've said time and time again there's studies on both sides one side of the studies say that it can rebuild muscle tissue in people with congestive heart failure and then on the other side it's like a Pac-Man eating dots. So pick your poison. I've used it on and off, but I will not ever use it for a lean phase. Even me being so pro-drug, I will not use it unless I am in a phase where I think that I'm going to get on stage. So to each their own. Obviously, you can use it. I'm just giving my opinion on it. Do you ever use Clen like right out of the gate with somebody? Let's say 20 weeks out. You know, they're, they got 30 pounds before they're probably at their contest weight and you pull a bunch of stuff, pull a bunch of food right out of the gate. And it, where I'm going with this is, let's say you're trying to blitz them like you, you want to get a lot of progress very quickly out of the gate. And then you're, and you're, you're pulling calories, you're adding a bunch of cardio in, you're adding, say, clenbuterol for like a two to three week burst. And then you're going to slow things down a little bit. You want to get all the water off. You want to you want to see get what the snowball. True. You want to get the ball rolling. Is what it sounds. Like. I tell you why I don't. Not right out of the gate. I sometimes will mm -hmm. two or three weeks in, but I mm -hmm. I always keep this. You know, a lot of things we do are so individualized, but there are some things that, as trainers, our methods are like. There's a few things that are rigid, and I'm rigid with this. I want to see immediately what the diet is going. I don't even throw in a lot of cardio right away. I want to get that mm -hmm. diet rolling, see how they respond over one to two, maybe even three weeks, and start to really pull there. And once I can see that the ball is at least rolling, then mm -hmm. I'm into the cardio. And I might get that clean in there at 16, 18 weeks, run it for two or three weeks, and see. Uh, might be go, you know, might go in low dose. One thing I have changed with clean is I used to just rigidly run 
it three weeks on, two weeks off, and it worked incredibly well. I have played around with 10, 12 people, myself included, where I run it longer, but I only step it up in 20 microgram doses. And the You've reason tried it is now. I want to, I have, I have. Good. And, and to be honest with you, personally, I like it. I like it too. Because That's all I've low, done now. And it's very effective, low dose. And it, I think what it is, is it's pulling me as the years go by, it's pulling me away from the 50, 100, 150 dosing or the 40, 80, mm, 120 yeah. dosing. Because it become when you make jumps like that, in my experience, I've seen it only the first week, sometimes the into the second week, and then it becomes ineffective relatively quickly. Then you have to step up higher to get I don't even want to say the same response because you won't get the same response. It's like yeah. you have to get, you're getting a smaller and smaller response, even though you're stepping up the dose with the lower climbs in dosing, it tends to kind of stay consistent. Yes. And, and continue. And the body also has that ability to kind of adjust to it and kind of not homeostasis, but it kind of, it just adjusts to it. And it, and it, it's something in the background that's running versus something yes. that is fueling the, let me ask you. Yeah, it's like walking by a fire and throwing a can of gas on it versus just keeping a little bit of gas on it to keep it running. Are you noticing less side effects with it that way too? You know, I don't, it, it makes me less anxious because the dosing is lower. Um, like from I don't clients have too. anxiety, but I do get anxious. What's that? Like from clients too, like people complaining about like tremors and stuff like that. Cause I find that like, yeah. usually it's that first couple of days, you might feel a little something when you up at the dose. But then after that, people usually tell me like, Hey, I don't even feel like I'm taking anything. Yeah. But you know what? I don't get a lot of clients who, as they increase the dosage, the, uh, and I tell people this all the time, you're typically not going to have the shaking increase relative to the dosing it, it, yeah. other than that first week. Now you're going to get yeah. more if you haven't used it much. Clients will report that, yeah, okay, I'm, I can clearly tell that I'm on it. And then after that first week, they see that when the, if the dosing does go up, they don't see that increase relative to the, like you, you go from 50 to a hundred as an example, yeah. you don't see you know, twice the, the tremors yeah. or anything like that. It just, it kind of maintains or, or it kind of falls back a little bit because you okay. kind of tolerate it or expect it. The yeah. other thing is, is I don't have a lot of new clients who haven't have no experience with Clen. <laughs> My clients who use Clen are, are typically competitors salty? who have used it over and over. Yeah. Cause I'm old <laughs> and salty. <laughs> right on. How about you, Andrew? What would be your first if you could only if you could only pick one fat burner for YouTube? Well, what do we what do we what do we put in the list of fat burners like clenbuterol, yohimbine? Anything you want, anything from anything from yohimbine to uh, over the counter stuff to DMP. Oh, DMP is off the table. So yeah, obviously clen. Well, because sometimes people will consider T three a fat burner. And I don't consider it a fat burner. I consider I consider it metabolism, you know, because it doesn't just exclusively burn fat, right? Um, right. So yeah, no, I, I would pick clenbuterol too for all the same reasons uh, <clears throat> Skip mentioned. I will say this that you know when people say like after being on clen for three weeks that they feel all this energy from it, I'm like that's straight in your head. Like you should be feeling more tired because yeah. it is liberating more fatty acids. It's <laughs> increasing lipolysis, which is a very tiresome process. Yeah. So when people are like, oh, I'm, I just feel so alert and energetic on this clan. And I'm like, yeah, that's in your head, man. Like, but keep riding the wave, you know? Right. I call it liquid cardio. 
it's yeah. it's about as tiring and i don't know if you guys do this or not i don't, I don't want to you know get off on a tangent because it's still related but Sometimes on those, especially if they're running the higher dose, like on a three-week cycle of clan, I'll especially if it's later in the prep, I'll cut their cut their cardio sometimes in half because mm. of the liquid cardio thing. It's almost like it allows, you know, it, it comes back to that if you have if you have one hundred on a number. We're talking about this with Menser. He used to have this philosophy. If you're running at a hundred. Uh, or let's say you're running at 50 with your training, 50 with your cardio. If you increase the cardio and you don't back off on the training or you increase the, you know, one or the other, you have to stay below that 100 threshold. I see clan as similar to cardio. It's not the same, but remember, I'm not a big fan of cardio either and relying on cardio. So any more than I would rely on clan, but I rely on the diet. I want the diet to do the vast majority of work. I think we all do, but I think some people rely on it where they're doing, you know, two and three hours of cardio day. And I'm, I just look at that and I go, God, it, you would think there'd have to be a, a better way. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't, but I think that that threshold still stands I think it's true to some degree, a large degree. So if the clen goes up, I like to cut the cardio back if I can. And then when they come off for two weeks, then sometimes it's even a um, cardio load, if you will. We not mm. only increase the cardio back to what it was, but we might go for a shock factor where it's increased or we go to double sessions where they were only doing 30 or 40 minutes. We go to double sessions at 60, 60 minutes twice a day to shock and really hit the metabolism for those two weeks before going back on the cardio. Because otherwise, you're still going to burn fat during the time that you're off clenbuterol but you also have that first week rebound that you're off clen where the scale weight will come up a little bit and not just because it messes with people's heads but there's that little bit of water rebound but you don't get that in the second week so then you have to gauge you can't even really rely if you're looking at the weight focusing too much on the scale weight that first week being off clen because it's not going to add up but the second week they should be dropping again and then coming into the first week of clen you know they almost always everybody drops a pretty good amount because you're going to lose some bit of water weight that first week on clen too this reminds me of something because you just said, you know, you have to kind of discredit the small little weight gain they might gain that first week off from the water, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of uh, one of my clients. He was, he was working with a coach before who never requested pictures. It was always just sent his, send your weight hmm. every day. Oh. That was it. And he made determinations using some calculation formula, something Ooh. to determine what you needed to eat for the next three or five days without even seeing what the person looked like. <laughs> some advanced shit right there yeah that's not gonna that's not gonna go over very well it's not hire that don't hire that guy this <laughs> guy actually had a lot of business he had a, he had all Did the natty he? uh natty people in my area until well until i started coaching but yeah <laughs> <laughs> well with that said guys if you want to reach out to andrew for coaching go to bodyberry.com and if you want to reach out to skip go to teamskip.com reach out to me mcnally diets at gmail.com and thank you for following along thank you to everybody from patreon we'll see if youtube wants to monetize this episode but if not patreon you guys are the guys who are saving the day so thank you very much for that and uh, we'll have to figure out, we'll have to get Dean on. We'll have to see if we can get Dean on the show. Apparently, mm -hmm. he's up late enough to, to do the show yeah. with us at our regular time. So well, even that sounds like a win. Skip, you get up a little earlier. We can um, maybe get him in at like a 12 o'clock or something. Or? We'll figure hey, it out. Hey, I'm usually up around 11. If I sleep in, I'm it's 1130. I'm doing pretty good now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, check out truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK, supplementsource.ca for Canadians. And uh, that's all we got for you guys for another episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear. We will see you soon. Comment with questions for the next show, plus all your comments and stuff. You guys are freaking awesome with that stuff. You are helping to boost the show up. So thank you.
Thank you to everybody in the live stream. You guys are freaking awesome too. Thank you.